Hello, and welcome back to Rose Pod, Classes to Careers, the Rose Holman podcast. I'm your host, Reese Seeger. And I'm Isaac Town. And today we have another very special guest, Dr. Kim Henthorne, the Department Head of Chemical Engineering and Associate Professor. How are you doing today, Dr. Henthorne? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Can't complain. Exactly. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Henthorne, some background knowledge? Sure. So I was born and raised in rural Indiana, actually just down the road from Rose Holman in a little town of about 400 people. Grew up there, went to high school there, and then actually came to Rose Holman in the first class of women in 1995. I studied chemical engineering. And then from there, I went on to graduate school and got a PhD in chemical engineering. I taught for six years at an out-of-state school and then came back to Rose Holman in 2010, where I've been here as a faculty member ever since. And now you are the department head of chemical engineering, correct? That is correct. I am the department head. Very cool. I'm curious, is there a reason that you ended up coming back to Rose after teaching at the one out-of-state school you mentioned? Yeah, a lot of it was just because Rose Holman is like no other place. You know, as I mentioned, I've been at a couple of other places. I have friends who went to school at and taught at other places. And the environment here is unlike any other place. And this is really where I feel the most at home. So I was very eager to come back. I definitely understand the feeling. Yeah. (laughs) And then I have a question. Why... I mean, just out of curiosity, what made you want to come here in the first place, knowing that you were going to be part of the first class of women and it was predominantly male? It was actually kind of an accident. (laughs) (laughs) So I am a first generation college student. As I mentioned, I grew up in very rural Indiana and very few people from my high school actually would go on to college. So only about five or six people from my high school went to college from my year. And so a big emphasis in my high school was to train people to go straight into the workforce. And so there was a big emphasis on farming, trades and things like that. And so it just so happened that the year that I was born was the year that Rose Holman first started having the conversation about going co-ed. And from the time I was born until the time I was ready for college, that conversation was happening here at Rose Holman. So in 1992, when I was a freshman in high school, that is, or 1991, that was when they finally decided they were going to go co-ed in 1995, but they wanted to give the current students a chance to finish out their education at an all-male environment, since that's sort of what they bought into when they started at Rose. And so my freshman year of high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I didn't really have much guidance because, like I said, I was first-generation college student, and my high school didn't really provide a lot of resources for people that wanted to go to college. But I loved math, always loved math, always loved science. I was always very different from everyone else in my class and just sort of embraced that and went with it. And so my freshman year, a representative from Rose Holman from the admissions office came out to my high school to try to recruit students, and he asked our guidance counselor, do you have any freshman women who just happen to like math and science? And so that was basically me. I was was it (laughs) for my class. And so I very much remember sitting in a conference room with the Rose Holman representative. His name was Tim Prickle. And he sat with me and probably three or four other boys from my high school and talked to us about engineering. And I had no idea what that was. 
But he promised me I'd be able to do cool stuff with my hands, and he promised me I'd be able to do lots of math, and I thought that was really, really cool. So every year, he would come and visit the school, and every year, I would go make sure that I sat in on that meeting. And so being just about 40 minutes away from my home, it was fairly easy to come out here and see what the campus was like. You know, being from a small school, I like the small school environment of college, and this just seemed like a great place to go. So I actually only applied to three different colleges, and I got into all three, but this is the one that was absolutely hands down the best fit. So as far as being in the first class of women, that wasn't something that I chose by design. It was just I happened to be born in the right year, and I just happened to be contacted by all the right people. And so it was a very happy accident that I'm here. For sure. And I definitely understand the small school type thing. My my high school was, well, I guess my high school had more people than your town, I guess. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, my class was 150, 140 people or something like that. And you're definitely right that the feel of Rose and it being more of an interpersonal thing where, for example, we can have a podcast where we just casually chat with professors is, is, right. <laughs> is definitely a nice thing. Yeah. So how many people were in the first class of women, if you know? I know there's a picture on the wall. You're on it. I am. Yes. And for the record, I did not walk around as a student with an R on my lapel that was photoshopped in after the fact. So I have a bunch <laughs> of people asking me if I was really that much of a nerd <laughs> that I wore an R on my lapel. That was supposed to be an Easter egg. That's so funny. But back when I was a student here, Rose was smaller. So we only had maybe like 14 or 1500 students. And the first class of women had, there were around 80 or so of us in that first class. That's a pretty good number for like higher than what I expected. <laughs> yeah, well, they they did a lot of recruiting. Mm -hmm. You know, they really like the Tim Prickles, you know, of the world. They were going <laughs> out and specifically trying to identify women that they thought would be a good fit. And then for a reference, currently we have what it's I want to say upwards of 2000 students. Students. It's a little bit more than that. It's 22 or 2300, something like that. OK. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's about 25 percent women, I think. Yes. I think it's 25, 75. Yes. Overall at the school, it's about 25 percent women. Different departments have different percentages. Yeah. In, my, in my department, in chemical engineering, we run typically around 40 percent women. Mm -hmm. And an interesting fact is that when I was a student here, there had never been a woman professor in chemical engineering. We'd had some visitors and stuff mm. that would pop in that were women. But now our department, out of 11 faculty, five of them are women. So we're almost half women, which is nice. Yeah, because like my department, which is straight science, because I'm a biochemistry major, is female dominated. That's just how it works out for us. I mean, granted, there's not that many of us in the first place. There's like seven of us, but like six of them are females. So <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just how it works out. But then Isaac, I'm sure yours is more on track for like what most of Rose is. I think ECE is somewhere around there because I'm I'm computer engineering. So yeah, I think it's somewhere around there. We do have a couple female professors, though. I think professors are, I want to say, like almost equally balanced. I feel like there are a lot of both, but I don't know the numbers exactly. It is definitely cool, though, how much the percentage has changed for the better over. I mean, if you think about it, it's only been, I guess, almost 30 or so years since the first class of women. Oh, you're making me feel so old. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's pushing 30 years. <laughs> yeah, because you graduated in 99. I did, and I came yeah. in in 95. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it has been almost 30 years. Yeah, that makes me sad. <laughs> but we've been growing. We've been growing. Yes, we and have. And also, I think 
it kind of like goes into like I don't think there's a necessarily reason that Rose is so male dominated. I think it's the field of STEM as a whole. It absolutely is. And so if you look across the country, you know, I know the stats for chemical engineering since that's Mm -hmm. what I'm most familiar with. And actually, our department is above the percentages of women compared to the national average in Mm -hmm. chemical engineering. So we try to do our best to recruit a big, wide variety of folks, including different genders. And I think we do a pretty good job. Yeah. How do you think you've seen the STEM field change in regard to like how many women are like involved? I mean, besides just growth. Yeah, obviously it's a lot of growth, but I think also there's an awareness having more representation on the female side. There's a lot more awareness that can have a big impact on designs and things like that, right? Because I think as engineers, sometimes people think all we care about is the math and the science, but there's actually a lot more to it than just that. If all we did was math and science, then that would be pretty awful. (laughs) We have a lot of other things that we need to take into consideration, right? There's going to be environmental impacts and societal impacts. You know, in the field of biochemistry or even biomedical engineering, if you're designing a device that can suit all body shapes, you know, women's bodies are different than men's bodies. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't have that female voice on the design team, those kinds of differences might not be recognized. And so by having more females in these various areas, I think we as a society have gotten a lot better in designing processes that can better suit the needs of the population. I can understand why that would be very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think there's like a personal drawback for women in STEM to like not want to pursue it? Because I know I was like really heavily considering STEM solely because it was what I wanted to do, but just because of the ratio, it was like definitely a consideration in my head. I mean, I think that all starts back at the middle school level, right? So I have two daughters. One of them's in elementary school. One's a sophomore in high school right now. And so I've been sort of watching their progress as they move through their education. And as elementary school students, I don't really see much of a difference as far as the passion for STEM you know, between boys and girls, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks science is cool and math is cool because it really is. But then when you start to hit middle school and you start to get peer pressure and people start to be aware of, you know, their differences and things like that, suddenly it's almost like it's embarrassing to like math or science, I think. And so for those people that, that really care about whether or not they fit into a certain mold, Even if deep down inside, they still have that passion for math and science, they don't show it outwardly. Mm -hmm. And it's been really sad to see, you know, my daughter... Like she's going to be a computer engineer, Isaac. Like that's her yeah. passion. She's on. She's, that's what we like to hear. Oh man, she eats, breathes, and lives for robotics and computer programming. Like that's her thing. So she's going to be you, basically, when she gets <laughs> when she gets out. But you know, watching her, she as a freshman in high school, she took an intro to computer science class where they learned Python programming. Mm-hmm. And in her first semester, there were twenty five students in the class, twenty four boys, and her. And then the second semester when they mixed it all up, another class of 25 students, 24 boys, and her. And so she was the only female. And I think for some girls, that's really 
off-putting and scary Mm -hmm. and intimidating. But, you know, she has someone like me that she sees where I'm just like, why does it matter? You like it. You're good at it. Just do it. You know, I've never been afraid to be different. I've been different my whole life, right? And so I don't mind being the first at something. Somebody's got to be the first. So, and that's what I tell her. And so I want to instill that in my daughters that, you know, don't let someone tell you that you can't do something and don't let them scare you into thinking that you can't do it because you're different. You, you just got to do it. And I think representation in STEM by having a lot of women around to send that message, I think is going to be important to growing that women demographic in STEM. Yeah. I definitely think you're right, especially with being told that you can or can't do something. Even if you try to ignore something like that, it can still put kind of an inkling in your head where then you say, well, can I actually do this and mm-hmm. yeah. things like that. And I mean, talking from a purely computer engineering standpoint, I had the same experience in terms of I took a class and that's where I kind of find my interest in it. And I said, well, I may not be as good as everybody else at this, but I enjoy it. So just keep going. Yep. Keep yeah. going with it. But it's definitely important to persevere with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And as somebody who was in a group of the first at something that was so monumental, like were there any setbacks that you experienced or like any like barriers of any sort? I mean, I've had barriers thrown up all along the way. Um, Rose is fabulous. I'll tell you that. They did it right. You know, they, like I said, it took them from the time I was born until the time I was ready for college to make sure that they got that transition right. And for the most part, they got almost everything spot on. You know, there were a little, a few little awkward things, you know, the first week that we were here. My friend Casey is a female but since they forgot to put a checkbox on the housing form that you filled out before you arrived at campus, they just assumed she was a boy. And so she ended up in an all-male dorm and they had to move her. You know, so there's a little things that they might have missed here and yeah. there. And that was fine. And then that first week, you know, watching the news and seeing yourself on the six o'clock news, taking notes and calculus because the community <laughs> wanted to see girls at Rose Holman. You know, that kind of stuff was a little awkward. But after that, honestly, they kept us so busy that we didn't have time to think about, (laughs) I'm the only girl in this class or, you know, there's just a bunch of guys around. And honestly, most of the time I don't, I don't notice that. I think things have gotten better as years have gone on. Like I said, Rose has been good. I've not seen anything negative at Rose, but, you know, ever since I left Rose, you know, during that period of time and experienced other parts of academia, there's some blatant biases against women out there that are really unfortunate, you know, and, and I see that stuff in my daughter's schools sometimes, not from the teachers necessarily, but from other students, you know, the boys and things telling yeah. telling my kids, you know, you can't do this. And so I think that, yes, there are still biases out there. I'm very lucky or maybe I'm just naive. I don't feel like I had too many really awful roadblocks put in my way, or maybe they were there and I just didn't see them and just stepped right over them. But yeah, I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done out there to make people feel more comfortable and welcome and encouraged to do all of the things that they want to do. Do you think that some of that just needs to, I mean, I'm just guessing the answer to this question would be yes, but do you think that's something that just that schools need to start integrating at a much younger age? I know that when It seemed that every time I left a grade, something changed in the grade I just left, which I'm assuming that wasn't my fault. We'll just go with that. But (laughs) adding in all the honestly, I was I was jealous of some of the young grades because they would they started adding in all these different STEM classes and all these little activities and all these other things. I'm like, well, that would have been fun. 
why did it take you guys so long to think of this? Is, mm-hmm. is, is it something like that where that kind of stuff needs to be more reinforced? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, just like you mentioned, they now started a STEM class in my daughter's elementary school. And so they do STEM once a week. And it's been great. You know, they learn how do you take data? How do you do experiments? You know, why does this ball do this when you drop it and whatever? So they're learning a lot of these concepts, even at the younger age. And you also see a lot more programs out there aimed at younger kids, right? I mean, it's been many, many years when we started recognizing that middle school is right when girls start losing interest or start moving away from STEM. Like, we've Mm -hmm. known that for a long, long time. So seeing a lot of summer school programs or online resources specifically targeted at that age group, you're starting to see a lot more of that. So these kids that are going through school right now have a lot more opportunities than were available when I was in school. I mentioned my older daughter. She has now participated in two week-long college camps for STEM that are specific for girls. Mm -hmm. You know, one was a computer programming course that she took, and one was actually here at Rose Holman, Rose Power, learning how to use the power tools. And, oh, my gosh, they built the coolest stuff. I cannot believe the stuff that she was able to build in a week. Yeah, because that's new as of the past year or two, right? Yeah, I think she was in the second cohort, and she did this last summer. So it's for girls who just finished ninth grade. And so it's the summer between ninth and 10th grade, and they can come out here to Rose Holman and learn how to, I mean, they they designed and built, you know, gumball machine. They turned pens from a block of wood. I mean, these <laughs> things are professional looking. I was so super impressed. So for the girls out there who don't know if STEM is right for them or are kind of embarrassed to be at a camp where they feel like they might be the only girl, seeking out resources like that, I think, is going to be important because you then you remove that one giant barrier that you see of maybe feeling different or feeling like you might be looked down upon, you know, if you're the only girl in a camp or something like that. So yeah. I think it's been a great thing. The camp does sound really fun. I mean, I <laughs> I, I never turned down an excuse to use power tools because they're, I mean, they're fun. If you, of course, use them responsibly, people listening to this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a fun thing. I never got the chance to do it just because, first of all, I didn't even know what Rose was at that age. Literally, I learned about it like senior year of high school. But <laughs> <laughs> I see like this year I was talking to people who were like here over the summer or were even possibly a part of it. And they love Rose Power. Like, I, th- it seems pretty fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. She had a blast. I think our Project Select class was split pretty evenly as well mm-hmm. in terms of percentages. Now, I, to, to listeners, Project Select is another one of the summer programs for rising juniors. So after your sophomore year, before your junior year. I was actually part of the first cohort of that. And Dr. Henthorne taught us on, we had a gastronomy day and we made chocolate during that. So <laughs> definitely another opportunity to mess around with some of the, the some STEM stuff, because just like with what you're saying that this place kind of felt like home, I mean, it was a week and I didn't want to leave. So mm-hmm. imagine what longer than that does, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at Eric Hayes. He's been here for what? It was 30. For his whole life. I mean, lived on campus for 18 years or something like that. Yeah. And I think opportunities like that are what is going to grow the STEM fields for women specifically is just, I think, thinking about it and being good at math and science is one thing, but actually getting hands-on experience with it can really make or break like the, oh, this is just something I'm good at rather than something I want to do to like, oh, wait, no, I actually really want to go into this. And we're hopeful that it will grow. And I think it will. It's 
it already has so much since you graduated and not just here. I feel like in the world as a whole. And I think, do you have any like besides just like finding opportunities to experience STEM? Are there any other ways you think that women can grow within the field of STEM? So, you know, billion years ago when I was <laughs> in high school, we didn't really have Internet. And so a lot of the stuff that I had to hear about came through snail mail, right, or by word of mouth. But now there's so much stuff online that people can find. There's tons of resources. I jotted down a couple of them just before this podcast just so that I could make sure that the listeners could maybe look into some of these. Specifically for girls that are interested in engineering, the National Academy of Engineering, which is sort of the premier society for our top engineers, they have a website called Engineer Girl that gives you lots of resources. You can connect with mentors and people who actually work out in the field as engineers. For those who want to just do more of a science-based type of thing, there's a YouTube channel called Physics Girl. There's an actual female physicist who will give demonstrations and try to explain, you know, why the world works the way that it does. For those that are interested in computer science, there is a page called Girls Who Code. So they have a list of all the different summer programs and clubs and things like that that girls can check out. And then there's a virtual mentoring program called Chick Tech that you can tap into if you're in an environment like I was when I was growing up where I didn't have someone to talk to and to use as a role model, because then you can actually connect with someone who can talk one-on-one -on -one with you and can give you advice and get you excited about the stuff that you're doing and to give you reassurance that it's okay to join that field and to explore and to see if this is something that's a good fit for you. You came prepared. I did. I made notes. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, those are good resources. Honestly, I'm probably going to look at a few of them as well. <laughs> I've heard of Girls Who Code, but I haven't heard of the other ones. It's even just the small things that you're right that they just get you so excited about it. I mean, I still get giddy thinking about it because it's just it's fun. Science is cool. Absolutely. And I lived for getting little kits and things, you know, at Christmas totally. time, like the grow a frog, right? Or yeah. Legos, of course, Legos are just oh, awesome. And yeah, but little just like little science kits and stuff. And so, you know, one way that we try to help out is to try to buy those types of things, you know, for my friend or my daughter's friend's birthday parties, instead of giving them dolls or books or something, we try to give them something a little bit sciencey to see if we can spark that in them that they may not even know is a thing, right? Yeah. Just to see if we stumble upon something that, that ignites something within them. I think it was, it wasn't this past Christmas or the Christmas before I asked for one of the little molecule building sets, because that was one of my favorite things to use in chemistry, just because you're learning without even knowing it. <laughs> <laughs> and snap circuits, right, Isaac? Oh, absolutely. Ah. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot about that. Isaac helped my younger daughter in Girl Scouts with a snap circuit set. And so that's kind of a staple at our house as well. We have all the little, you know, add-on kits for our snap circuits. Overall, as we kind of wrap it up a little, do you have any last words of wisdom or any knowledge just overall, whether it's about women in STEM or just the growing field of STEM, just anything we've talked about? I just really want to encourage girls who might be listening to this that, you know, are kind of embarrassed or shy or not sure if they want to do this to just do what it is that is your passion, because you have a lot of life ahead of you. And, you know, let's say that you start working at 20 years old and let's say you retire at 65 
if you don't do what you're passionate about, that's 45 years of wasted years to me, right? I come to work every day and I don't feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm just having fun and I can't believe they're paying me for this, you know? (laughs) It is so much fun. And so I always tell my daughters, do what it is that you like as long as you make enough money that you're not living in my basement (laughs) and you're not finding yourself doing something illegal. Go do that thing. So I know with the population that I've seen out there that there are a lot more girls who are interested in STEM who are not following STEM. Don't be intimidated by people who tell you that you can't do it because you can. And if you feel like you don't have that nurturing environment to study STEM, come to Rose Holman because we will take care of you and we will make you feel welcome. I think it's important to find a role model. I think that Finding someone in STEM who can be a role model can actually teach you a lot more than just the academic stuff. Probably my best role model was my PhD advisor. So obviously she taught me all the technical stuff that I needed to get my PhD. But what she taught me the most was that you can have a life and also a career. No one had ever taught me that, right? I thought I was just going to have to go and, and be a professor and then that would be it. But she showed me through her own examples that, you know, she's a Zumba instructor and also leads stuff at her church and also has a wonderful family and is dean of engineering at a big school. And she does all of those things. And she's nice. That's the thing (laughs) is that she gets stuff done and she is the nicest person that you will ever meet. And so I really try to model myself after her example. So finding someone that can teach you more than just the academic stuff is going to be really important because you can look at that person and say, they did that. I can do that too. Absolutely. Very well said. Very well said. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your, I'm sure, very busy day and (laughs) taking some time to talk to us today. And thank you to everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed another wonderful episode of Rose Pod from Classes to Careers. And we will be back soon with another episode and another great professor like we had today. Thank you guys so much. I had so much fun with this. And I really appreciate you uh, giving me a voice and letting me talk to the girls out there because we want to see more of them here at Rose. Yes. All the girls listening, we will see you soon. That's right. Let's say the more nerds, the better. I'm all for it. Exactly. (laughs) 